They should win the game. They get a point. We, we score a perfectly good goal. Make it 2 0. Game's done, done, dusted. We win the game. Fish was cost you two points, Dave. It's standard. 10 past 10. Most of the children are probably in bed, but the, these, these boys are fucking mentality giants. It's unbelievable. And Shakiri hasn't he the funniest shape. He's a little chunky fella. They'll fight for the tree. It's a joke. Gone about far this, far that. Help the officials out. Clearly they need help. Clearly we play in the Premier League. It's a joke. It's a joke. Watching last night's error-riddled 1-1 draw between Manchester United and Arsenal, it's hard to believe it's 14 years on since Roy Keane and Patrick Vieira clashed in the tunnel and Keane told Vieira that he would see you out there on the pitch. If Ashley Young said that to Granit Xhaka last night, he would have been disappointed as Xhaka's anonymity in midfield meant none of us watching saw him out there at all. Hello and welcome to this week's Three of the Back podcast. How are you, Keane? I'm excellent, Kevin. That was a fantastic opening paragraph, by the way. So we're minus Phil this week, um, but plus the Villa View's Dan Bardell, who we'll be chatting to in part two of the show about football journalism in an era where fan-led content, fanzines and club journalists are becoming more mainstream, sitting alongside old-fashioned traditional football journalism. But before all that, Keen, let's chat about Monday night's classic in Old Trafford. Um, I was looking at the lineups before the game, and obviously aside from the likes of Pogba and Aubameyang, the star power is is well and truly gone, and the drop in quality over the years has been severe, from the players on the pitch to the people in the dugout, and ultimately the actions of the boardrooms have kind of hollowed out what was once one of the league's greatest rivalries. Um, and I mean, that's how it ultimately played out on the field. It, it really did have a kind of a mid-table feel to it. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit bizarre. I'll admit... I kind of enjoyed it. Like, I enjoyed it in the way that you would enjoy, like, Love Island. Like, I, do you know, <laughs> in, in that sense that, like, it was just sort of, it's kind of like that brain-dead enjoyable, I can just sort of zone out here. It doesn't really matter all that much in, in, that, in that kind of way. Um, if, if you get me, like, it was just sort of, you know, these two teams are, are not really going to challenge for anything. So it was kind of like just watching two kind of really poor sides just go at it for the crack. Um, yeah, there was nothing really on it. There was nothing really behind it. The, the quality was poor, um, but it was end to end. Um, so so it was kind of enjoying in that sense, but the quality was pretty, pretty bad, like surprisingly bad. Um, even if even if the, the lineups kind of prefaced that it would be, um, it would be yeah. a bit of a dirge. But yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like as a Liverpool fan, I'm sure you're kind of like l- like licking your lips at, at the fact that two kind of former giants are, are, are pretty much that bad. And, and as a Villa fan, like I'm sitting there looking at it, going, I can't wait for Villa to go to Old Trafford and maybe like have John again slap Paul Pogba around the place. Um, but <laughs> in, in essence, but in essence, like it, it's also a little bit depressing because. You know, you want the United yeah. and the Arsenal's to be kind of up there, and you know, maybe not. All right, look, look, everything like football is cyclical, and you know, you have to make it cyclical at times too. And and United and Arsenal just kind of aren't doing that at the minute. I mean, they're just whether it's on the team or it's on the board, they're just they're making kind of poor decisions. So while it was enjoyably depressing um, last night, I, I, yeah, I don't think it's overly good for football. It kind of when I saw the teams, it kind of reminded me of that kind of Hodgson and Dalglish era. Liverpool were yeah. they had like of Paul Konchesky and and Jay Spearing, and these absolute no hopers in the team, and then all surrounded by um by Steven Gerrard. And I mean, you've Paul Pogba in the middle, and obviously he's been hugely criticised over his his United spell since uh, since he joined the club, but some of the talent around him is, is just so average. And I think you could, the match, it was entertaining Monday night football in terms of the the quality was so bad. It was, you just couldn't but laugh at it at times. I mean, some of the shots that were being taken and being, and being bombed over the bar. And um, there was a couple of uh, free headers that were missed. Um, just the tackling that was put in. Um, and I mean, it, it was nearly perfect the way mm. especially the second goal came off with the with the offside that was so blatantly onside I mean it was just mm-hmm. kind of a, a, a shit show in in in, in no uncertain <laughs> terms 
Um, yeah. Mean, some of some of the play, um, even from the more experienced players. I mean, Klasenash looked terrible out there. Um, positionally, I mean, he looked so far from from being a left back. It was ridiculous, and and you know, I mean, Arsenal probably are on a better trajectory at the moment in United in terms of some of the young players that they have. I mean, Guendouzi probably looks one of their better players and mm. the Saka kid looked quite good. But then on the other hand, you know, they've just spent 60 odd million on Pepe who couldn't string two passes together. Um, yeah, he, so was, he was a bit off at all right, yeah. He was really off. Um, and I mean, I, I did I did enjoy um, when Fred came on, um, the commentator asked Gary Neville for kind of what to expect from Fred when he came on and Neville basically kind of summed him up in that we haven't really seen pass, we haven't really seen him tackle, he, we haven't seen him score goals, so we, we don't really know what to expect from him because he's just been so off the pace since he joined. Yeah, he's been, uh, like, uh, you would you would hate to, you, you don't like to criticise, overly criticise players too much, um, especially foreign players coming from, you know, a different league and speak a different language and, you know, it's a completely different culture. And, and you know, it's like I said all the time, it's like some players are actually, a lot, the majority of these players are, are top class players in their own right. It's just some, some clubs, they just don't, they're not a good fit. And you just feel like Fred may be one of those guys. But I mean, like, it, it's, it's the likes of, it's the likes of Pogba. I mean, like, Pogba could could conceivably be in that in that position as well, but it was like it was just funny. Like after last night's game, there was like somebody had seen tweeting like that Pogba was treating the season like I treat the last hour of a Friday <laughs> shift, and it's you do, and maybe that's just his natural sort of aura of like his language style of like how he runs, mm. how he passes, his complete body movement. He, he doesn't exactly. He doesn't exactly look like he's enthused about anything he's he's doing. Yeah. But I mean, like, if you're looking for, I think I've seen Schmeichel um, today, Peter Schmeichel, basically describing Pogba as, as the problem child. And it's like, you know, it's like, it's a terrible thing to actually describe somebody as, but by and large, you're kind of going, I think he might be right. And, and not... Not that Pog was doing anything, you know, like insolent or, you know, he, yeah. he's doing like, you know, he's making it, you know, the atmosphere bad on purpose. But like the guys have to, you know, like Solskjaer and these guys, like they, they have to look at it and go, is this guy right for the team that I'm trying to build? Because I'm starting to think that there's nothing that Pogba can do to make this right now. Mm. You know, I, I don't think he's the type of guy that you build a side around. Um I think he's kind of, and that's why maybe he was he was so good at, at Juve was because Juve were like a highly functioning side with like incredible midfielders, and Pogba could just flit in and out, do spectacular things, underperform every now and again, and it wouldn't it wouldn't really matter. Whereas if you put him into the boiling, you yeah. know, the the, the 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 pit of Old Trafford, and it's like, you know, you're looking for him to to, to lead by example and. In, in a club league season I don't think he's going to do it like 9 times out of 10 or, or 37, 36 times out of 38 you know and I suppose because he's nearly a big fish in a small pond now at United we've kind of changed our expectations of him whereas he's probably looking at things and thinking you know I'm kind of in a holding midfield road here alongside Scott McTominay and I'm not going to operate to the best of my ability so deep out the field um, so I'm kind of I'm going to not necessarily give up, but I'm going to down tool slightly because I know I'm not going to be effective no matter what I do. I could run around like a headless chicken, whereas, like you said at Juventus, he had that specific specific role where he had yeah. better players behind him to give him that comfort where he could score a goal from twenty or thirty yards and kind of mm. disappear for 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 ten fifteen minutes in the game. Whereas at yeah. United, we're kind of looking at him and expecting him to do the kind of Steven Gerrard and grab the match by the scruff of the neck when he's maybe not that type of player and they don't no. have any type of player around him. No. And it's and it's ironic like that because I think you're right there, but it's ironic that like it was McTominay who scored the goal. But then also, it was like, I think it was like in the second half, I can't remember exactly when it was. might have been like in the last 15 minutes. Um, and McTominay had the ball just outside the Arsenal, uh, the Arsenal penalty box. 
and he was looking to kind of like play a slide rule pass in behind for for but nobody was there. Mm-hmm. He literally just passed it out for a goal kick, and like it would it just summed up the match. It just summed up the match I, again to go back to Twitter. I'd seen somebody today, and um, that said that it was like two blind pigeons fighting over a sausage roll, which which <laughs> you know I thought pretty much nicely summed the game up. Like, yeah. I think I, re- I read another one where. It- just comparing them to, to two old box boxers just coming back for uh for that last heyday when um when they're yeah. way past it. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, Foreman Foreman ask at fifty. <laughs> um moving on, I suppose let's talk about two teams that we haven't really spoken about this season. Mm. Um and that's Newcastle and Leicester. Both clubs are going into the season uh, first full seasons with new managers and their fortunes are kind of spiking in hugely different directions. Um, Steve Bruce was not a hugely inspiring replacement for Rafa Benitez this summer and the results are already starting to show that with Sunday's 5-0 trouncing. Keen, if you were a Newcastle fi- fan at the moment, is it even worth mustering the effort to call for Bruce's head when the club is being so terribly ran? No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so, Kev. To be quite honest, I mean, like, if there's one club that I do feel for, it's 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 if it's one if it's one club's fan base that I feel sorry for, it's it's Newcastle's. I mean, like, oh, to to, to lose a manager like Rafael Benitez and then have Steve Bruce replace him is literally like going out with Mila Kunis and then you know basically shacking up with Susan Boyle. Do you know what I mean? Like directly afterwards, <laughs> or being 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 forced into an arranged marriage with Susan Boyle, and um, yeah, it, it's just uh, like I had to laugh at at Bruce's. Um, I think it was like the post match um, quote, and and he says like, "I've heard lots of nonsense about the tactics, but the big thing about um, the, but the big thing is about showing pride and having a goal." And like, if you're after being trounced five nil by a Leicester side as effervescent and like you know tactically well drilled as as um, as Leicester under Brian Rodgers, you're like, mate, get a grip. Like that is just absolute tosh. It's it's you know basically it's the bluffer's guide. Um, you know in yeah. terms of that quote. I mean, um, we 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 give out about so-called. Proper proper football, I mean, but we're coming out with oh. comments like that. I mean, oh, proper football, show, trademark, yeah, trademark phrase straight out of the book. And mm-hmm. you wonder why these guys kind of have that poor reputation and bounce from club to club uh, when you're relying on that kind of, you know. But, what, mean, but Kev, the thing about it, I I don't understand is is that like with Bruce. He doesn't seem to learn from his mistakes. This is the stuff that he was coming out with at Villa before he was sacked. He started accusing the fans of being the mad few. You know, like the, the like the whole fan base was up in arms with the type of football that he was playing. I mean, like I cannot get my head around the fact that we made that playoff final under and we nearly got promoted under Bruce. I mean, let let let, let me just let me just make people aware who are listening that. The reason why we made that playoff final was because of individual quality and players like Jack Grealish, you know, and Conor Huron and, and and these guys who, you know, they basically there was that that was not a functioning football team in the way, in the way Liverpool or or a, fun, or a Man City or even this Aston Villa iteration under Dean Smith or a fun, uh, or a functioning football side. It's like there are no tactics, there is no identity. You know, Bruce and Bruce basically underpins that. By the nonsense that he comes out with here, and it's like if you're a Newcastle fan, you're just you're just absolutely just depressed, and and it's like you said, there's no reason for yeah. them to even get up in arms because Mike Ashley is not is not all that bothered, and basically like Bruce is his guy, Bruce is, was was his was his guy to to replace um to replace Benitez, so he's not going to get rid of him um, lightly, and, and certainly not after. You know, a handful of, of bad results. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's 2019, and you're installing a manager who clearly doesn't have a plan to get the club forward. I mean, Rafa Benitez, in very very limited circumstances, clearly had a plan, which was to keep things solid, keep things tight, and he got a couple of big results out of it over the past couple of years, and obviously kept kept Newcastle in the Premier League, and the fact that. 
you look around and you see, say, the likes of Chris Wilder, who's brought Sheffield United up with, on paper, what's a pretty limited side. There's so much structure. They have a plan. They know what to do and they're able to execute that. And I mean, they, they push Liverpool right to the wire um, and were very unlucky. Obviously, the goalkeeper mistake um, mm. meant that they lost the game. But there are managers out there with plans and it's so depressing. And I'm sure it was hugely depressing for Newcastle fans to see Steve Bruce uh, rock along for, for another stint in the Premier League when, mm. I mean, if look abroad and if you look at even in England now there's a lot of managers coming through and 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 you guys at Aston Villa have have Dean Smith there who clearly has that plan and he has the players there to to be able to execute it and might necessarily get the win every time but it's it's encouraging for fans and it must be so difficult for Newcastle fans to show up every Saturday to to have to watch that yeah I mean like you you, you've just hit the nail on the head there Kev I mean like when it comes to when it comes to Bruce getting another crack at, at, at a Premier League gig, like, I mean, I don't overly like the phrase um, straight white um, privilege, but I mean, if there is such a thing as, as you know, as X, as X Manchester United privilege, it's definitely Steve Bruce. How he yeah. keeps getting these gigs is beyond me, like. And I mean, he had, he had a job at Sheffield Wednesday and left that before having managed them for a game to go to Newcastle. So it was obviously just a matter of the board or more specifically Mike Ashley looking around and seeing I can probably get Bruce in, I can get him in cheap. He you know, he has that a bit of experience. He might be able to, to to pull a rabbit out of a hat somehow, but I mean I think they're nineteenth in the league. They're far world away from, from what Benitez was doing. Um and even mm-hmm. that's having spent some money um in the summer after they got rid of Benitez, which was probably two fingers to him in a way, um, mm-hmm. despite how, how well he had done. Um, on the other hand, then, Leicester were kind of being shaped up as the league's dark horse, and that's looking pretty spot on so far. They're third after seven games with four wins. Um, they've just demolished Newcastle. Uh, Jamie Vardy has five goals this season. He looks better than ever. Shaglar Sayunku has stepped in for Harry Maguire kind of perfectly so far. The squad on paper is maybe arguably better than the league winning team under Claudio Ranieri, at least in mm. terms of depth. They have more options there. But Keen, why does it still seem like people are finding it hard to buy stock in Brendan Rodgers? I mean, he got sacked by Liverpool, left the league, got back into a groove with uh, Celtic obviously had a lot of success there he's returned to the Premier League with a good club he has them in the top four yet he still kind of has that reputation where a lot of people tend to doubt him yeah simply because he made such a caricature out of himself um, at Liverpool and like you know maybe he just lacks at that time maybe he just lacked a bit of self-awareness in, in terms of the, some of the, the things he would say or do you know but you can't fault you can't fault his his coaching ability. Like any team that you've seen um, him him play, generally always plays quite lovely football and effective yeah. football. And I mean, also you have to to add in the fact that you know, English the English Premier League, the, the majority of of those people who they discount the, the Scottish league, and you know some people would argue rightfully so. But I mean you. Not everybody will will go up to that league and win. Essentially, he he won three trebles. Like you think about that, three three trebles. Like that's that's mm. remarkable. That like <laughs> you can clean sweep on three occasions. And I know people listening will be like, oh, you know, but that's Celtic. It's a one team league and all that. Yeah, I get that. There's also a way to win, and the way he won was like extravagant. You know, free flowing football. And yeah, okay, he'll he'll. He might be a little bit disappointed in terms of like the forays in um, in Europe in the Champions League, but like he did have some excellent results there. If you think back to the two draws against Man City, um, and you know, the took a couple of wallopings against Barcelona in the same group. But you know, when you play that expansive football against Barcelona, you, you're likely to get done, especially if you don't have a high quality of player. But you know, he was absolutely set up to go back to the Premier League, and and thrive with with a good team and, and it's like when you talk about good fits Leicester City with that squad and that setup and let's let's not just 
Yeah, perfect. And let's not just talk about this. The, the, let's not talk about the actual squad. Let's talk about the setup at Leicester. I mean, in terms of the scout network, the sports science, the new training ground, like everything was 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 basically perfect for him to go in there and do a good job. So, like, I mean, like you, you put the pieces together and they, they just fit nicely. Um, and like Leicester could could conceivably uh, crack the top four this year. And I. Uh, uh, Remember, I said it to you at the start of the at the start. I think one of our first episodes. I was just like, there is absolutely a massive gap, white opening up here, and for for somebody to steal in, and and whether it was going to be a West Ham or a Leicester or somebody like that or an Everton, you know. Um. So yeah, like I'm I'm really happy for for Rogers. I've always rated him as a decent coach. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I, th- I think he he made certain mistakes. Um. He made certain mistakes at Liverpool. Um, that that you could you could doubt, and you'll know more than anybody can following yeah. Liverpool for so long. But um, I would say that the Liverpool's the Liverpool side that he nearly took to the title was actually one of my favourite ever Premier League sides. It was just you, that side was just phenomenal to watch because they would concede goals, but they'd score just as many. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was the simple fact that like I think that side looked as good as it did because it had Luis Suarez in its prime and he was just so good. Um, and I think when he, when he, when he yeah. left the, the, the hole that he left in that squad was just, I don't think Rogers had enough credit in the bank to hold out making a mess of, you know, which he kind of did the whole, I don't know if it was like Rogers himself or it was the transfer committee or all this sort of stuff, but yeah. And, um, I don't think he's ever fully recovered from that, but you know, from that, from that, from that Liverpool stint and, and how his reputation knows died. But I think he's well on his way, um, you know, yeah. to 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 getting a back on track now with Leicester. Because, like you said, his reputation having left Liverpool, he kind of created this character of himself where he, he, you know, the same quotes over and over again. Um, he had the shiny white teeth. He. He kind of became up to a point, especially in the last couple of months at Liverpool, where he was coming out with the same kind of excuses and it mm. felt like the veil was kind of slipping a little bit, even though he was mm. clearly a brilliant coach um, and had done unbelievably well at Liverpool. I mean, having nearly won the league, um, he got some of the best years ever out of Luis Suarez. Um, he got Raheem Sterling playing brilliant football. Mm. And just the goal, the volume of goals that they were scoring in that team, looking back, obviously defensively is what um, undid them in the end. And, you know, see how long Liverpool took to finally fix that. It's only in the last year or two that they've managed to kind of turn that around. But on one hand, looking back at Newcastle and they're kind of, they're trying to fit, you know, like jigsaw pieces that just aren't working together. Mm -hmm. And then at Leicester, where obviously they had their tragedy um, last year with the ownership, owner um, passing away. But there's obviously an ownership group there that has a great amount of interest um, and dedication in the club um, and facilities, the team itself. I mean, it's tailor-made for Rodgers to come in and get them Absolutely. into the top six, top five. Even. And even looking at the team itself, I mean, obviously the, the league-winning side kind of got picked apart to an extent with, with Maris and um, N'Golo Kante, but the players that they have brought in since then, I mean, um, Indidi in midfield at the moment uh, is prized to be uh, plucked to a, to a bigger team um, in the next couple of years. Um, and But the back four especially, and what they've managed to do since Harry Maguire's left with Sayunku and Johnny Evans, who I think has probably been one of the most underrated centre-backs of the past five or six years in the Premier League. Mm. Um, and the players that they've brought in as well with TL Emmons um, and Pereira at fullback, who mm. was kind of appearing to be one of the one of the better attacking fullbacks in the league. Um, but obviously have, managing to keep Fardy for all those years. I mean, he's... We, we talked about Suarez. I mean, he, he's going to score goals for, for a Rodgers team. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Yeah, like, it, if you look at the side and the way it's, you know, the makeup of the side and makeup of the squad, it, it's, you know, there's a lovely balance between solid pros and, 
and young attacking talent. Like, I mean, and it's like you said, like the the decision making in terms of and the scouting has been pretty spot on. I mean, like they let Harry Maguire go, um, for like eighty nine, ninety million. They don't even they don't even need to spend that because they've got this young mm. kid coming through who, who's pretty much just as seem is performing just as effectively as mm. as Maguire, you know. And then this kid and Didi, who was brought in um, as the kind of like long term replacement um, for Kante, he's he's incredible as well. And what they did, what I really liked is they went and got the the lad from Sampdoria, Dennis Priet. To play alongside Tielemans in the middle, like the two guys used to play yeah. at Anderlecht, and um, when they were kids, and they've also brought in um, Harvey. Well, they brought back Harvey Barnes from West Brom, who was on loan there last year. He's a phenomenal talent, and you know, full of like he's a real tricky winger, um, and obviously Vardy just continues to bang in goals. Like um, his goal scoring record is just phenomenal, and um, so yeah, like it, it's a good side. It's got full of power and pace and technically good in the ball yeah like uh, Rodgers is kind of you know I wouldn't I would not be one bit surprised if they they qualify for the Champions League this year in fourth place and I suppose one player that we haven't mentioned at all and I mean he's obviously going to get linked to to bigger teams as as the transfer windows go by but if they can hold on to James Madison for the next three to four years Continue to invest. I mean, there's the sky's the limit. He's still only 22, and he's playing unbelievable mm. football in a type of role that's hard to to fill. Um, I mean, so many teams have spent huge money on kind of attacking players that have failed to uh, to kind of get to grips with the Premier League for for one reason or another. Whereas he's kind of slotted in there, and he's 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 looked an absolute star. Yeah, I, I completely forgot about Madison, to be quite honest with you. Mm. My old my old mate, James Madison. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all like, these guys, like a lot of these guys that, that they've got are all worth probably between 20 and 50 million. Do you know what I kind of mm. wait? Like, and even the, the, the signings that they've made as well, like I was just looking at their bench for, for um, against Newcastle. They got this guy, James Justin, um, from Luton Town, um, right back. Really highly rated. Villa were after him as well, but Leicester got him. Um, he's he's highly rated. He's not even making the squad. They've got Demara Gray. Um, they've got um, they've got Kalichi and Ianacho from the, the kid at Man City. I mean, like they've got all these like sprinkling of young talents mm. waiting on the bench. So I mean, like the, it's like a conveyor belt of talent there at Leicester, and that that's the sign of a well-run club. It's the same with, with uh, Southampton there a few years ago when they were just selling all their players to Liverpool and making fortunes. Do you know that kind of way? So it's like that's the sign of a good club or a well-run club. So the Irish squad um, has been named for the next chunk of Ireland internationals against Georgia and Austria. Um, two games that may make or break our qualification hopes. Um, when we signed off after last month's draw against Austria at Diaviva, we kind of speculated would there be any changes to the starting eleven for these games, and those changes have been forced on making now with the absence um, of both Richard Keogh and Shane Duffy. Um, although, kind of according to reporters today, make us hope and Duffy may make the squad yet, even though it probably looks unlikely at this point. Um, Keen, do you have any concerns about John Egan and? Probably Keen Long slotting in as a new look centre half partnership. No, I want to be positive on this one, Kev. Um, I don't necessarily. <laughs> um, yeah, look, uh, Egan and Long. I thought I know the the test. They did start together against um, who was it in the previous friendly? Bulgaria. I can't remember. Um, it's it, it's it's completely it was Bulgaria, wasn't it? Um, yeah, they, they did start to go against those guys, and it was like they, they, I thought they looked Bulgaria, quite comfortable. Yeah. yeah, it was a bit dodgy, you know. Um, it was a bit dodgy here and there, but overall, I thought they did quite well. And you, you're just like, yeah, look, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people kind of giving mixed stick today. Now, I have no problem with, with criticizing any Ireland manager, you know, for for basically making these kind of decisions and, and not making progressive choices. But, like, a lot of the cribbing and crying was over, like, the, the kid Aaron Connolly not getting, a, not getting his place in the squad. And I'm like, hang on mm. a second. You don't know what arrangement Stephen Kenny has with Mick. 
So, I mean, like, there might be an arrangement there where, where Stephen is going, look, don't call these guys into the squad. I need them for the, the Italy game. Do you know what I can away? So it's like, yeah. you know, you have to show a bit of balance and, and a bit of common sense. And, like, that's there's obviously a reason why this kid, Alan Conley's on, because he's starting and performing. Well, he's starting and, and making appearances off the bench for Brighton in, in the Premier League. So he's, like, yeah. he's obviously highly rated by Graham Potter. Um, so it's like... You know, Mick, I, I assume would call him in if, if he thought um, he could. But there seems to be quite like if you put your thinking cap on, it seems to be that there's there's some sort of agreement there. So like a lot of the, a lot of this, the criticism that he's been hit with today, I think it's a bit undeserved. I mean, like his hands being forced by the Duffy injury and the Kyo injury, so it's like he, he's not got a lot of options here. Yeah, I mean, we've probably reached a point with. The senior Irish team, um, and like Martin Neal before him and Mick now, where we're probably not going to see the likes of Aaron Connolly. And there's no way, like Mick has one job and he's kind of reiterated that in nearly every press conference and that's to get to the Euros. And obviously Connolly has been very good for Brighton. Um, he's getting game time, which is uh, a lot more than can be said than for a lot of players, um, mm. especially Premier League game time. But... Like you said, he he's he's tied to the under twenty ones. He's even if he was called into the Irish squad, he's not going to start. There's no way Mick would start a kid in two extremely difficult away games where there is a genuine genuine chance of getting quali- of qualification for the Euros. Um, but I mean, people just looking at the defensive options and. People are kind of certain Matt Doherty as potentially slotting in at left back, even though mm. it's by far his position. I think it's more likely to be Daryl Lenehan of Blackburn, or mm. I think Lenehan is probably ahead of Greg Cunningham, even though they're both at Blackburn. Um, it seems Cunningham has kind of been always overlooked in terms of the Irish setup. Mm. Um, but Aside from Duffy and Kyo, who are obviously massive losses, and I think Egan is going to slot in just fine. Long yeah. looks a pretty decent defender. I mean, he, he's going to replace some of that height um, that the other two ha- are going to be missing with. But I think the the biggest loss is is McGoldrick because yeah, in in all of his games in the past couple of. Um, qualification games pretty much every attacking move has gone through him um, I don't think we have a player there capable of holding it up um, I mean Sean Maguire has been massively unlucky with with his injuries whenever he's been called up to the Irish squad but this major difficulty will be seeing who is going to step in to that role that McGoldrick is, is leaving by and James Collins scored Against Bulgaria, I mean, it was pretty basic tapping. Scott yeah. Hogan hasn't really done much in the Irish short. Um, Kellen Robinson is probably guaranteed to start, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. But the the lack of of hold up play and, and and height and and obviously he hasn't scored too many goals, but he is probably capable of scoring goals more so than than the two I mentioned before is a massive mm-hmm. loss. Yeah, I completely agree. To be honest, I mean, there's there's no way that you could look at that side and you know, and say that it's going to function as well as it has without McGoldrick. Um, and I think that might be a case that Mick might have to look at playing a, a different type of way because, you know, in, in the options that he does have, I think it was uh, Sean McGuire, and he did um, who did Sean McGuire, Callum Robinson. He had. Um, Scott Hogan, Scott Hogan there, um, and James um, James Collins then from Luton. So it's like mm-hmm. you know, like you've got three quickies and 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 a hold up man, and that hold up man probably he's nowhere near as technically um, gifted no. as as McGoldrick is, you know. So it's like I think he, I think Mick might have to play a different way here, um, and that actually might suit uh, against Georgia at least. It actually might suit against Georgia. Uh, and Denmark because we're going to be on the back foot now. Uh, that 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 might mean kind of like playing it down the flank and and getting trying to get in behind them a little bit more. So so those players might suit. But I'm actually quite surprised he's not 
I don't know what the story is with Shane Long and and maybe a little bit less so um, Obafemi. Um, both of them come off the bench for Southampton at the weekend um, against Spurs. Yeah. So it's it's a bit baffling the Shane Longman, you know, because mm-hmm. like I know he's inconsistent and he drive you mad, like he's very frustrating. But you know, he, he still scores and has scored important goals. And so it's like, yeah, I, I don't really understand what's happening there. Um, Obafemi, I'd, I'd love to see get it, get a run because that that kid is absolutely rapid. Um, I think Scott, Scott Hogan he started off reasonably okay for for Stoke, but hasn't really done too much since. Um, and yeah, Sean Maguire, I mean, like we, we know we can do it for Preston, um, but you know, in, in terms of his injury record, you just can't depend on him. Um, and so really, it's like Callum Robinson that you're hoping is going to do the damage um, for you, and, and yeah. It's it's a little worrying, um, to 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 say the least. But I'm I'm still reasonably optimistic we can get out of there with four points, I, and that's it, it's I think it's going to be a big ask. I think we can beat George, obviously, um, and I think we can get it we can get a draw. But Jesus, the propensity to go tits up is 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 is, <laughs> is massive, is massive. <laughs> And depends on the quality of the eggs. In the supermarket you have eggs class 1, class 2, class 3. And some are more expensive than others and some give you better omelets. So when, when the class 1 eggs are in waitress and you cannot go there. Real Madrid is no Barcelona. It's a office small team. Have many problems. I want my players play with balls. We're on with Den Bertel of the Villa View, a By the Fans, For the Fans YouTube channel dedicated to all things Aston Villa. Welcome to the show, Den. Thank you for having me. Den, we wanted to broach the topic of fan-sourced content, which between YouTube and online websites and blogs and podcasts has become so mainstream in the past few years. It's become more and more on par with traditional reporting we have some notorious examples of these types of fan-led content, and then we have the likes of yourself at the Villa View, which is just creating good, enlightening and entertaining content for supporters. I guess, starting with your own story, how did this come about and how did it develop into one of the leading platforms for Villa fans? Uh, basically, I think, obviously, over the, the few years before we started, I think this kind of thing had happened with with, with Arsenal, Liverpool, Man U. So the, the bigger teams had, had started to, to have fans doing this kind of thing on, on YouTube. And I've got to be honest, I, I saw it and, and I liked the idea, but I wasn't I wasn't particularly keen on on the way that they did things. So about I think it was the year it definitely was the year the year we went down. A guy called Dan Robinson start, started the Villa View, and it, it was purely just fan cams. And the, se- the season ended. It was probably the worst season in Villa's history. We, we went down, and everyone had just tuned in to, to watch these fan cams, basically about about our club going down the toilet. And it was just some, something that I, I wanted to get involved in. I'd been doing doing a bit of blogging, so I was relatively well known to Villa fans, although probably like a load of people wouldn't have known who, who I was. And I, and I just asked to be asked to be involved, and it, it's turned into what it was today. Really, we, we just started doing things that weren't fan cams, just like little talk shows talking about what was going on still doing the fan cams and then it developed into match previews and podcasts we've, we've interviewed ex-players ex-managers in, in in the past as well we've managed to play a game at Villa Park with with our subscribers to two teams which was really really good and obviously a dream come true and it's it's just come from, from there really I suppose our a lot of people's interpretation of of, of kind of fan-led content is Arsenal fan TV and standing yeah. outside the ground. Um, so obviously there's more to the Villa View than just um, trying to create um, uh, rent a quotes um, after and reactions from fans. Yeah, I mean, 
it sounds a bit like I'd be laying into the Arsenal fan TV guys, but fair play to them at the end of the day. They, <laughs> they, they've, they've made a living out, out, of what, out of what they're doing. I don't agree with the way they go about things. It does feel like they tr- kind of like trade off Arsenal's misery in some ways and, and make money out, out of that. And, I, and I, I do get the impression that they're happier when Arsenal aren't, aren't doing well, whether or whether or not that's whether or not that's true. I'll probably never know, but that that's the kind of feeling I get. Whereas we, we never really wanted to be like that. We we actually have had times where we've had really good relationships with, with the club and a positive relationship with the club, and they've they've wanted to help us, and we didn't want to be mm. that 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 renter gob that comes in and and they absolutely hammer the club. We wanted to try and spread a positive message because at the time when we were really getting going, Villa were obviously in the Championship, which which was a new thing, and that and that the fans and the club had had been quite far apart. There was no togetherness at all, and we wanted to try in our own way, to, to, to bring the club and the fans closer and back together. And to an extent, I, I feel like we, we, we did do that when we were in the Championship and eventually Villa have ended up back where, where we want them to be in the Premier League, albeit it's not, not been the best start, but, but we are back where, where we want to be. And we just wanted to try and, and, and do something different. Give, give, initially, it was to give the fans a voice, but from then on, I mean, I've got personal aspirations. Some of the guys I do it with have got personal aspirations as well. It's become something where we've actually been able to showcase our, our talents. And, and Dan Rollinson, our camera guy and editor, just got a job off the back of what he's what he's done with the Villa View. So, although we are still, obviously, we, we want to give the fans a voice and we'll do fan cams every week. It's something where we, we can talk about our club. People seem to enjoy it because in the modern day, with 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 match of the day and, and whatever and I'm not laying into match of the day at all but other other outlets they're talking about a club that they don't see every week they're, t- they're talking about things that they, they don't really know about whereas yeah. I watch Villa every week I, I know exactly what's what's going on with the club I've got good contacts I, I know what's happening and to me if I was a fan tuning into that that's the kind of thing I'd rather listen to so anything we make oh. is is in with in the mind of I want what we make to be something that I, I would listen to myself, and, and that's what we try and do. Dan, yeah, I mean, just just to jump in here, I mean, obviously, I followed the Villa View for a long time. I followed yourself for a long time, and I mean, yeah. the 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 difference between, for instance, like Arsenal Fan TV and and Villa View is like is stark, which is obviously something that you kind of stick by, um, and that's all credit to you. I mean, yeah. in in terms of in terms of the content that, that you guys produce. It's it's first class. It's up to date. It's insightful. It's knowledgeable. It's not taking the piss out of the fans. Like in terms of like the clickbait era of new tra- new traditional media. It's like how do you like what's your relationship? For instance, we'll say with like the Birmingham Mail. I don't want to drop you in it with, with you know no. with, with any of those guys around that. But I just mean in general terms. Like do they kind of look down on you? You know, as like, are you second class citizens to to those guys? Not them, not them particularly, because I've got a decent relationship with the with the, with the Birmingham Mail guys. To, to be fair, mm. but I, I think they're only doing what what they're asked to do. The kickback nature of journalism now, it, it is there, and I, I personally, I, I don't like it. It really, really irritates me. That's why something like mm. the Athletic that's come along at the moment is an is an absolute dream because I can go on there and I can read proper content. I'm not being bombarded with stuff and I know what I'm clicking on. Whereas mm. now I think the likes of the people at the Birmingham Mail and, and the, the like, they're, they're, they're told to do things in a certain way and I, and I think they're hamstrung and I think and I think that's what, what they have to do. Personally, again, I, I, I don't like it and I don't see that it gets much good feedback, but that's obviously what makes them the money, which is what, which is what they, they care about at the end of the day. Mm. That's the downside I mean, of media is I, I don't make any money out, out, out of what I do. It's yeah. been brilliant for me. As I say, I've got a great portfolio now. I've met some great people. I've got, got great contacts. I've got good relationship with the, with the Villa fans. Villa fans are always really pleased to meet me and want to know what I say. And to, to me, that's that's great. In, in some ways, that, that that's better than earning money off the stuff. But it's time. Because we're a fan channel, we don't make money with we can't do everything that, that we that we'd like to do because time time doesn't mm. allow it. There's constraints. We've we've got normal normal jobs, so that's where that side of the media disappoints me because that's their full time job. And I'm looking at stuff that comes out sometimes from, from certain outlets, and I'm thinking, our oh, stuff's better than that, and that, and I'm not getting paid to produce it. Put some effort in. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you completely sort of hit the nail on the head there with, with a couple of points in terms of, like, you're not able to monetize it greatly, if at all. You know, no. I mean, where, where does... Uh, I mean, obviously, you do it because you're passionate about Villa, and, and that's understandable, but, like, it's like you've just said. It's like, I can't monetize it. I'm, I'm, I've got a day job. Like, you know, how far does this take you? Like, how far do you go with it? And, I mean, like, do, do you see any sort of... any route that any particular route that it could go down where you could monetize it personally or with the villa view itself i mean with me personally there's like a common misconception i think villa fans see me and they see my following on social media and i think they mm. think that i make money out of it they think mm. that i'm like living the dream the amount of block dms i get saying oh can i have some advice i love what i love what you do i'd, I'd love to get into journalism like, like you do and i think mm. well, really I'm, I'm not there I'm I'm doing it, and I like to think I'm I'm doing a good job. But it, it isn't my job. It's it's not what pays the bills. I I can't give up my day job to facilitate the Villa View. It's it's just not possible at the moment. Yeah. As long as I'm enjoying it, which especially the podcast, doing the podcast with with Tom and Dole in, in the past as well. I do that every week, and I actually enjoy doing it. Like I love sitting next to someone and just talking talking about Villa for an hour. It's yeah, brilliant. And I'll probably yeah. continue that for it as long as I can. But at the moment in my life, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm 34 year, years of age now. I've pr- probably left it a li- little bit too late, but my ambition is to, to try and break in and doing doing the Villa View has, has given me the opportunity to, to have some chances. I've done some things that I never, ever dreamed of doing. I worked for the club for a year doing a show on Facebook Live with Ian Taylor, and that was one of, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. I, I absolutely loved it. That's given, given me personally a taste of, of what I want to do career-wise and it's just just waiting and, and seeing now and just hoping mm. that something happens just showing that from my point of view I look at what I'm doing as I enjoy doing it Villa fans seem seem to enjoy it I'm showing that I'm, I'm a grafter and that, that I'm a hard worker and that I'm committed to getting into this industry because I'm doing things in my own time so mm. <laughs> you'll probably I'll probably find that I'll be an old age pensioner and I'm, and I'm still doing it still hoping that, that <laughs> yeah. I'll break into the media industry but until I get that break, I imagine I'll be doing it. It's not the only reason I do it, but for me, it's a big driver now. Mm-hmm. I, I can't believe you're uh, you're 34, Dan. Like, I mean, you you, you look, look older. Oh no, I was going to say you look about 32, <laughs> but yeah, you just tell my jokes stone dead there. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it is a difficult one, and you know, one of the things that I can't believe, whether it's the Villa View or it's the Anfield rap or United we stand or any of these like really popular um, fanzines is that traditional media outlets like for instance the Birmingham Mail haven't actually bought you guys um, and by that I mean you know literally subsume the channel uh, yeah. uh, and use that, as, that how has that not become a reality because I think it just makes so much sense oh, this is going to sound really arrogant and I don't mean it to at all but I almost feel like with the platform that we've created for ourselves We've almost done too well in terms of what we've produced. We've almost been too good. And I'm aware that comes across really arrogant and I don't mean it to at all. But because of that, I feel like because in the in the industry, you've alluded to it yourself, standards aren't always brilliant. Because we've done what we've done for free, we've kind of put some outlets to shame. And from that, I feel like we're kept at arm's length a little bit by people people are wary of us and they we've made our ambitions clear of what we what we want to do in our life and part of me feels like that that's been a disadvantage it would have almost been been better not not trying because when you know you know yourself king because you've you've watched it you know dan mm. rollinson the, the way he shoots stuff the way he's produced stuff incredible he's, yeah. he's, he's brilliant like he, he's professional quality i mean whether whether or not i'm professional quality and tom's professional quality is a completely different story but i know that what he's produced has been professional quality, and to be fair, he's been picked up. Now it's taken longer yeah. than he should have done, but he but yeah. he's been picked up. But it does you do get that feeling that people are, are wary of you, and whether that's ill-founded paranoia, I don't know. But that is that is how I've always felt with it. Yeah, no, to be honest, and and this would just be from my own personal, like fairly objective view. I I think is that like. I talked to Kev about this before and I, I just think that you're a really talented guy in terms of, and I'm not just kind of like blowing smoke up your arse. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think you, <laughs> yeah, well, I think you're a natural. Like, and I, I, I was kind of wondering, like, had you done any sort of like, 
not that you'd, I know you've not done it before, um, you know, when you were younger, but was it, was it just something that came naturally to you? Did you do any lessons for that sort of stuff? Because I've seen you on TV and, and heard you on TalkSport and you, you just, yeah, it just comes like second nature to you. I'm a relatively confident guy, which I think always helps. And to be honest, my whole life, I've just spoke about Villa and football. So it's, it's a natural thing for me talking about, talking about Villa and, and talking about football. I've done, I've done studies, so like I did a journalism degree and there was one module in there that was about TV presenting. So I've, I've done, I've have done it, but never to a, never to a high level. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to do the Villa View because it was something I felt that I'd probably, probably be half decent at. And I just thought this would give me a platform and it would, it would show me whether I, whether I could do it or not. And mm-hmm. again, without coming across arrogant, I know I can do it. But the hardest thing is just just getting that break, and I, I haven't managed to, to get that yet. And I, I probably need to spread my wings a little bit and try and do things mm. that are, are not Villa as well, because that's probably something that's hamstrung me a little bit. People look at me, and they they see me as just a, a, a voice of Villa talking about Villa. But I, sometimes, you know, I want to be the one asking the questions and stuff. So I've got per, personally. I've got to try and, and find a, a way around it, but it is it's just getting getting that break, and it just hasn't happened yet. Then, um, I guess on a broader scope, um, I remember when we were starting Backpage Football back around 2009, which was the kind of the start of the blogosphere, as it was called back then. Yeah. And there was a, a real line drawn between those in the media boxes and those sitting at home writing about football. And it wasn't really until the Guardian and Sean Ingle began giving blog, bloggers a platform um, and some writers began getting proper jobs in adverted commas. Um, and the likes of Michael Cox and Zonal Marking became more mainstream of what he was doing, that the lines kind of started to blurry. And that's, that line seems to have kind of blurried even more as the years have gone on with fan-laid content, just as much, which is just as much appreciated and as useful as traditional content, um, if not more so, like you said at the beginning. Um, I mean, you can see that in the rise of The Athletic, where beat reporters like James Pierce and Andy Mitten are kind of side by side with old school guys like Oliver yeah. Kay and um, Dominic Fifield and the quality rather than getting diminished it's just increasing all the time um, what is your view on this kind of fan-led content sitting alongside um, modern media and kind of traditional reporting methods? I think as, as you say over, over time it's becoming more and more and I would, would think in the next few years it's, it's only going to get going to get grander there'll be there'll be more fans or more people that have, have done support activity will, will be involved in the, in the national press. I can't, I can't think of a better way to put it. But you, you think about the athletic athletic now. I think one of the Arsenal guys was was a was a blogger, Arsenal blogger, and now he's writing for one of the biggest publications in the world in the Athletic. That's I really like what the Athletic have done because, like you say, they've they've got them got the mix right, and I don't really feel like that's been replicated anywhere else. I think it's quite savvy and quite clever what they've done but yeah over the next few years I would, I would expect more of that kind of thing to, to happen and you'll see more people getting involved that have done the kind of thing that, that, that I've been doing. And I suppose uh, on a similar note do you find say you can have this kind of old school media sports reporters do you find that they kind of not necessarily look down their noses at this kind of fan type media um, I mean, in Ireland especially, it's it's very frowned upon to wear uh, club colours in the press box or when you're reporting on your teams. Like, is that kind of a factor over in England with with the rise of the the fan led content culture? Yeah, I mean, I think there'll always be people that, that are old school. I mean, when the Athletic came along, I saw a lot of journos came in and had a pop at that because it's obviously behind a paywall. Oh, that that'll oh, never work. Oh, that that'll, that'll never catch on. But it will because it's good, and it's the same. It's the same with with fan stuff. If fan stuff's good, people are going to going to tune into it over reading over reading something in the national press because the, the people that are doing it are simply more knowledgeable. It's it's just the way it is. There'll be there'll be very few people that know as much about Aston Villa as as me that, that are in this in this kind of game. So when something's kicking off or there's a big story breaking, if you go onto social media, I guarantee there'll be at least the same, if if not more people will be tweeting me and asking me what's going on, rather than rather, yeah. than, rather than the journey. So that, and that, that's because they assume 
and think that, that I'll know more because I because I am Villa. And I think stuff like that is is, is only it can only be a good thing. And I, I do think it will grow, and I do think things will change. You know, Darren, that's actually a great point that you make in terms of, you know, in terms of, we'll say, regular transfer news. So you've got a traditional journalist, maybe a John Percy or a Greg Evans, somebody who covers Villa yeah. or covers Midlands football. And like those guys will, will tweet a link. We'll say Greg Evans tweets a link, um, you know, Villa are linked with a player. It, it might not necessarily happen and he gets a raft of abuse as journalists all over the country will 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 always that will always happen to them like you've probably experienced that as well i mean oh, it's yeah, something big, that's big probably time. a common thread yeah yeah like how do you deal with that like you know you're not you're you're not a journalist that's not your job you're passing on information that you've been regular that you you know you you've basically been given and you're you're doing it sort of as a Villa fan to another Villa fan, and it's like you get abused for that. It's just it's 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 an it's it's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, what I have learned over the last few years, as as I've become more more connected, is so you can something can be ninety nine percent done, mm. and you and you tweet, and then it all change. I had an example this summer where I was told by multiple really reliable people, Jack Butland is happening. Jack Butland is going to Aston Villa. Mm. And me and one of them, and Chris Dolan, my Villa View colleague at the time, we both put tweets out because because we were so sure that it was done. Because the people that had told us that, that we know would know, they were so sure it's done. And then Stoke moved the goalposts, and so, suddenly it doesn't happen, and you 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 end up looking stupid. And I just accept it to be honest. I, as I said, I'm quite a confident person, so stick doesn't really bother me that much. I always look at it in the way of if if someone's taking the time. To be bothered to give me a stick, it obviously means I'm doing something right and um, yeah. that pe- people are noticing me. I mean, people don't apologise either. There was another one last summer where I knew for a fact that Yannick Balassi was had signed for Villa as good as and that it was happening. Mm-hmm. And I, I tweeted that it was happening. It was something that hadn't really been in the national papers. So I looked at that as being an op- opportunity where I could gain some kudos, basically. So mm-hmm. I tweeted it. And an hour later, there was pictures of P- Tony Pulis and Yannick Balassi at mid Middlesbrough suddenly emerged and people are tweeting me saying, oh, you're lying, he's, go- he's going to Middlesbrough, these pictures, blah, blah, blah. And then the next day, sign for Villa. But you don't, you don't <laughs> yeah. get an apology, apology when you when people will have a go and hammer you when they think something's going to be wrong. They don't come mm. back to you when it does happen. It's it's just mm. the modern way. I mean, you could do a whole new, whole show about some of the stuff that goes on <laughs> on, on social media. Yeah. I mean, like you say, I'm not, not even a, I'm not a proper journalist, so to speak, but some of the stuff that's happened to me on social media over the years is unbelievable lot like, of people wouldn't believe it mm. yeah i mean I, uh, obviously just to to kind of finish off on, on on that topic as such is that really i just wanted to know let's say in five years time where do you where do you hope the villa view and yourself ends up if you can pick you know like a dream sort of scenario um that that in five years time what are you doing and what is the villa view doing I mean, at the moment, the, I mean, Tom and I who do the podcast. We both have aspirations to to work in the industry. We've both had little mm. tasters of what it's like, and, and and that's that's what we want to do. So my hope would be in five years' time that, that we both have that both have managed to get jobs doing presenting and and things like that because that that's what our dream is. With the Villa View, at the moment, the, the plan is is that we want to now we want to get some younger people involved. We want to. We want them to, I say, learn learn from us. It's probably not not the right terminology, but there's a there's a, a young blogger at the moment who we're, we're looking to get involved. He's really enthusiastic, really good on camera, and he. Mm-hmm. We want to get him involved in fan cams, get him seeing what we do, and get him in, involved with the channel, so that hopefully one day, when we, when, if we were to get jobs, we can then leave the Villa View in capable hands of younger people, and it would give them a platform, and hopefully give them a chance of breaking breaking into the media. That's. That's how I see, it, and that, that that would be the the ideal scenario. The guy that's replaced Rollo as our as our cameraman and editor at the moment, he's he's eighteen, just just started uni, mm-hmm. doing 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 film and video and editing. It's, it's a, it's a, we've got an audience there for him that's built for him to showcase now what he can that's, do. That's, and that's the yeah. plan. That's what I want. That's what we want to do. It's, it's that's given incredible us to showcase it, and that that would be the ideal scenario for me. Yeah, you're like you're nearly creating a stable of talent there by yourself. You're like the Lamazia. You're like the Lamazia <laughs> of fan content. Um, 
what I was going to say. Yeah, look, Kev will Kev will um, will forgive me this now that I have you on. Um, I need to ask you about Villa and, and just just briefly, where do you think Villa will end up by the end of the season? <laughs> I mean, the simple the simple fact is that the Premier League has changed in the three years in the three seasons. Villa haven't been in it. It's, mm. it's a different beast to what it was when we were last in there. Three years doesn't sound a long time, but it but it is. We played Burnley, Burnley the other day, and, and I thought we were brilliant in the first half. And I, I still, I think now we should we should have won that game. But Burnley are an established Premier League side. Mm. They, they know what they're doing. They know they know what they're good at. They know their strengths, and they adapted in the second half. Pinpointed weaknesses in Villa and, and got and got a point. Villa, we've certainly got to be smarter in, in in what we're doing on the pitch at the moment. But I like I like what we're doing. We've got some fantastic mm. footballers. I, I think mm. we'll be okay. I think there'll be worse teams. Than us in the league this season, we've just got to get a bit, a bit more streetwise. I mean, the last four games, you'll know as a Villa fan, mm. I've been really, really frustrated after all of them. Obviously, you had the Palace game where you've got the, the referee in disaster, should have gone mm. to VAR, blew his whistle too early, and then unfortunately, Arsenal benefit from that because he learned his lesson and did the right thing last night. That's of no advantage to Villa. Nil nil with West Ham. They've got they've got ten men for the majority of the game. We, we didn't do enough. That that's frustrating. Arsenal, we absolutely capitulated, but again in the first half, we're, we're absolutely brilliant. But we need to learn to play for two halves of football, and I think things will improve. But we could we capitulated, and again, I, I feel like we should have won that game. And, and Burnley at the weekend. So at the moment, it's, it's frustrating. It's all shoulda, woulda, coulda with Villa. But I think there's a lot of positives. There's good signs. The right man's in in charge. Whatever happens this season, I, I want Dean Smith there for the foreseeable future. I want him to be given a chance because he's a great man. And he's got us back up to the Premier League, which didn't always look like it was going to be possible when we were, we were in the Championship. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be uh, we finishing the top ten season this season. I don't think if you at the start of the season if you'd offered me seventeenth, I wouldn't have taken it. Now I think I would. Mm-hmm. I just want to stay up, consolidate, and we'll mm-hmm. go. We'll go next year. We've got owners that are ambitious. They they want to spend money. You know what? I don't think there's a lot wrong with Villa at the moment. It's just not quite clicking. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, I'll tell you what, in this mad world, common sense is currency and you've got plenty of it, my friend. And that was, that was yeah, top class. Brilliant. Thanks, thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. So to sign off for the week, we're introducing a new feature on the podcast called Chump or Champ, basically highlighting some of the best and worst characters from the past week of football on or off the field. Um, Keen, let's start with your Chump of the Week. My chump of the week, uh, quickly, is a little bit harsh, but I've gone with uh, Bernardo Silva of Manchester City. Obviously, um, he's in a bit of a racism scandal um, at the minute. He's been accused um, of being um, casually racist, if you, if you like, um, for tweeting a, uh, it's like a Spanish um, cartoon um, at, at Benjamin Mendy. Um, and obviously... People have jumped all over it and said, you know, this is racist and that's not good. Um, now, obviously, I'm not saying Bernardo Silva is racist, but he is a bit of a dope um, for doing that. So, therefore, he is my chump of the week. And my chump of the week um, has to be another dope in the, uh, in um, <laughs> Richard Kyo. Um I'm sure it's yeah. going to at this point what a horrific error in judgment he's made. Um, that's likely put an end to his career at Derby, probably his career at Ireland. He'll certainly miss the Euros if uh, we do indeed qualify. And um, quite possibly his playing career full stop is over at this point. Um, I mean, a baffling lack of judgment um, at his age Whoa. and uh, for his role at the club to to do what he did um, and, and to obviously get into a car, having um, alcohol consumed and... He's obviously paying the price for that. Mm. Um, go on, fin- finish off. Champ. No, go on, finish. Well, my, I was going to say my champ was um, Vinnie Perth. Vinnie Perth, Dundalk FC manager, um, most likely, well, already a double winner, could be a treble winner um, after this week winning the league on Monday night um, with victory uh, over Shamrock Rovers, actually last Monday night, sorry. And then on Sunday evening, uh, Making the making the FAI Cup final um, after a late victory over over Sligo Rovers, so it was kind of it was nice to see him, you know, in his first season taking over mm. a big gig or in a big job from from Stephen Kenny and kind of 
you know, it, 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 it like I said, it, it had the propensity to go to go really bad. But yeah, he's carried on in in, in the like in a Liverpool esque, um, Fagan Paisley style. Have I got that right? Have I got Fagan Paisley? Is that right? Uh, yes. No. Uh, yeah. Yes. Or is it Shankly Paisley? Shankly Paisley, I think. Whatever. Liverpool boot room. Um, so he's 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 carried on that that uh, great success and yeah he's done it with style um, in terms of the the wins and um, lack of goals conceded so yeah that's champ of the week for me. And to finish off, my champ is a chap called Tom Lapsley. Um, started in the Colchester United Academy when he was a kid. Um, has played his entire career in League One and League Two with Colchester. Um, his hometown club, he's 23 and he stepped up and scored the winning penalty against Spurs last week um, in the League Cup. So, I mean, what a moment for him, having kind of lived his entire life, played his entire career in League Two, a couple of years in League One um, when he first started off. So, um, a huge moment for him um, and obviously to get one over on a, on a, a bit of a giant killing there on penalties against Spurs. He is my champ of the week. Um, we'll sign off there so keen. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure, Kevin. Um, and hopefully uh, Phil gets back from his holidays with a nice tan and gets back on the, the panel. Phil will be back um, probably in some sort of Hawaiian flowery shirt. Uh, yeah. Um, and sunglasses. Pina Colada. Uh, next week. Pina Colada. And uh, we'll probably be sick of listening to him about uh, his tales from... Barbados or the Bahamas or wherever he's gone off to. So uh, tune in next week to hear all of that. 